0: If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with me now to Psalm 86. For those of you that are using the Black Pew Bibles, Psalm 86 can be found on page 462. And as David said, not only is there a welcome connection card in those Black Pew Bibles that you can fill out with your contact information and hand to me at the door on your way out so we can follow up with you. If you don't own a Bible, I would encourage you to take those black pew Bibles home with you and continue reading and studying God's Word on your own. We're going to continue reading and studying in Book 3 of the Psalms, and we will be immediately greeted by what I believe is the most significant line in Psalm 86, right off the bat, in the original Hebrew Psalm 86, a prayer of David. Most of you, I'm assuming, will not think that the superscription, a prayer of David, is startling, surprising, confusing. You will think this sounds pretty typical for, in fact, 73 of the 150 psalms in the middle book of the psalms this middle book of your bible were written by david he is the most common author of the psalms so to say a prayer of david would seem for most of us to be typical fittings not surprising and i am saying the first line of psalm 86 is confusing, surprising, jolting, give your adjective, fill in the blank. That's the expectation you should have of this psalm and sermon based on those two words in Hebrew. A prayer of David. Two questions then will guide this sermon. What is David praying? And why is David praying? What is David praying? And why is David praying? And my hope is that as I answer both of those questions, we will be instructed about how to pray and we will be encouraged to pray. We'll be instructed on how to pray and we will be encouraged to pray. If we can answer the two questions, what Is David praying? What kind of prayer is this? Secondly, why? Of David. And if you are intrigued, then I hope you will dial in and listen. Let's first just read the psalm, and then I will try my best to answer those two questions for you. A prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding and steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Two questions. Question one. What kind of prayer is this? What what is David praying? Question two. Why is David praying? Why is David praying here in Psalm 86? And my hope is that you will be instructed and encouraged to pray. How to pray and motivations for why you should. Uh, first, what kind of prayer is this? It says, a prayer of David, and many of you might think, as I mentioned in the introduction, the word prayer is probably used hundreds, dozens of times all over the Psalms. It's a good guess, this specific word, a prayer, eight times, one of eight times. Now, there's other words and descriptions of prayers and The root word here is used in multiple forms or fashions, but a superscription of a prayer is only used eight times. So already, I'm intrigued. Why a prayer of David? And so as I think through this psalm, I would like to suggest to you that this is a confusing prayer because it's all over the place. It actually has a little bit of every kind of prayer you could pray. Let me show you what I mean. First, I would like to recommend that you see this as a prayer of praise. This is a prayer of exalted praise to God. And I start there because the middle of the psalm, I believe, is verses 8 to 13. On either side of the psalm, verses 1 to 7 and verses 14 to 17, give us the specific context as to what David's more specifically asking And so, if you were to read most Hebrew poems, a lot of times the center section is going to be kind of the main idea. And so, if you look at the center section, you'll notice that verses 8 to 10 is especially the center section, and many different Bible commentators will argue that the center of the center is verse 10. For you are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are our God. He's not asking for anything. He's not confessing some sort of sin. He is just stating who God is and he is stating that God is great. That's why at Embassy Church you will hear a regular diet of prayers of praise. You heard one today. Read the word and then Praise the God revealed in the Word. It's a basic common practice. It's something we're modeling for you every Sunday. Keep coming to church and sit under the liturgy of the ordered worship. And you, I believe, year after year, will be taught how to pray. Read the Word and then pray prayers of praise over the Word. In fact, God's greatness is, I think, accented by his quotation of David's scripture reading, the David Marus David, earlier in the service. What scripture did we have just before the sermon? Exodus chapter 34. Does this sound familiar to your ears? But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Or drop back to stanza one. Look at verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Whether it stands a one, whether it's the middle of the psalm, or whether it stands a three in the latter half of the psalm, it is a prayer of praise. And I think this is one of the most overlooked types of prayers in your prayer life. It is one of the best ways for you to grow as a Christian. It is one of the most foundational suggestions if you were to come to me like the disciples did Jesus in Luke chapter 11. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Please don't call me Lord when you do this, but say, Pastor Phil, I'm a new Christian. I want to learn how to pray. Teach me to pray. I am going to tell you to do this. Read the Bible and then observe everything you can from what you just read and praise God for it. Step one, prayer of praise. I want to ask you to sincerely review your prayer life and ask whether or not your prayers are more filled with requests to God rather than prayers of praise about who God is and what God has done. Look very specifically. Those are the two basic categories when you think of prayers of praise. Who God is and what he has done and both of these are highlighted starting in verse 8. There is None like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. There's the two things. Of all the gods, of all the spiritual beings, of all of the angels in heaven, there is no one that compares to the mightiness of God, the character of God, the beauty of God, the glory of God. He is supreme and stands alone. There is one true exalted being that is in the heavens, and it is the Lord God. And then we know that he is so great and supreme because of his works, his works of creation. He is the creator God. All other spiritual beings are derivative of him because he is the God who contains life. He is the only God self-existent being. This is what we call the aseity of God, and it is a glorious doctrine. He is the God who he is. He just exists, and in fact, in verse 1, the word Lord in all capitals, O Lord, capital O, L, capital O, capital R, capital D, O Lord is his name, and his name is I am. I am who I am because I just exist, and therefore you can just fall at his feet and say, God, you are worthy of praise, because no one is like you. No one has life in themselves. It's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out our praise. This breath is a gift from the giver of life, and that's why we praise him. All the nations that you have made, they shall come and bow, and worship before you, and glorify your name, for you are great, and you do wondrous things. Notice, he's just great. Have you ever prayed a prayer where all you did was just talk to God about who he is, not even what he's done? God, you are loving. You are kind. You are slow to anger. You are Covenantly committed to your promises, and our existence in this world is dependent on your promises. We thank you, God, for your promises. God, you are matchless, like no other. You're great. And when you do this practice, you will find that our English language and all the languages of this world will fail to fully comprehend the incomprehensibility of the greatness of our God. This is a prayer of praise. It's the center of this psalm, I believe, and fun fact, some, I think they could be right, I'm not sure, think this is the center psalm of all the psalms. And the reason for that is because this psalm has 147 Hebrew words and it has 17 verses. Book three is the middle book of five books. So book three is the middle. That makes sense. Five books. were are in the middle of the five books. But then this psalm is argued to be the middle of book three, even though not numerically, but because it is a prayer of David, going back to my original point. Where else is there a prayer of David in book three? Look around. Look at the last psalm. Look at the next psalm. Keep looking. And then you'll find there isn't. So this one sticks out in Book 3. In addition to that, it has how many? 17 verses. How many psalms are there in Book 3? 17. And if you take some of the psalms that are actually like Psalm 9 and Psalm 10, two separate psalms in our English Bibles, and you count them the way the number of psalms are in the Hebrew Bible, you would come to 147. There are 147 words, and there are 17 verses, And again, you don't have to be convinced by all these things. The point is, this psalm sticks out very uniquely and strangely. The coincidences are mounting up when you look at the strangeness of a prayer of David. Nowhere else in book three. Book three is the middle, and the middle section of the middle part of this psalm is praise. Did you guys catch all that? What is David praying? He's praying praise to the greatness of the one true God, the one who's supreme and reigns and rules overall. But is it just a prayer of praise? No. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of lament. It's a prayer of a man who is the king over the nation of Israel. He's the richest man in the world. He is the mightiest man in the world. And he's poor and needy, verse 1 says. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. What kind of prayer is this? It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of lament. Look at verse 14. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life and they do not set you before them. David is confessing his great and desperate need for God. He is stating the reality of his case. He is lamenting the fact that there are those who hate him, verse 17 says. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. In my life growing up in the church, I was not accustomed to coming to a church service, hearing the scriptures read, and then confessing sins publicly. The first time I started attending a church that did this, it shaped me, I think, for the better. If I said step one would be to read the scriptures and give praise to the God who exists based on what you just read, step two would be now compare yourself to his holiness, his righteousness, and confess your need for this God. Confess your sins against this God. Notice how great and kind and merciful and slow to anger he is and then consider your own quick temper. Compare and contrast and then fall before God like David does and state, God, I am poor and needy. I need saving. I need grace. My soul is weary. I need it gladdened. You are good and forgiving and so I am calling upon you. You call upon the Lord when you know, A, that he is great and B, that you have great need. So I would encourage you to sit the feet of David and learn to pray. Pray prayers of praise, pray prayers of confession. And when you come to Embassy Church and we read scriptures in the worship service and then somebody leads us in corporate confession and if that's weird, strange, new to you, please lean into it. Give it some time. I believe For me, at this point in my life, it would be genuine and authentic for me to say my favorite part of our liturgy is when we read the scriptures, we corporately confess our sins, and somebody very helpfully leads us through not a prayer of petition, not a prayer of praise, but just stares at the text and says, God, we have fallen short of your glory. We should be more like you and image you and reflect you, and we are nothing but that. And then the assurance of pardon comes, a statement of gospel truth, a declaration of God's promise to forgive. What what a glorious process to sit yourself under. The word of God is read, honored, and hallowed. The people are humble and repentant. And then on the freshness of the wickedness of our hearts being exposed and revealed, even publicly, we can then acknowledge There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified by our faith, we have peace with God. When we read those gospel declarations, we are being reminded of the forgiveness that God has promised for us in 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. For those of you that were here last week, this is a repeat, but it's a very, very important point. You will pray a lot less if you don't know the God to whom you're praying to. David can confess and lament because he knows, verse 5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Why would you confess your soul to God? Look at the language that David says. He's actually giving his soul over to him in verse 4. For you, O Lord, I am lifting up my very being. This word in Hebrew is is, is sometimes the non material part, but really it's the word for everything that I am. I am surrendering and laying down my whole life and lifting it up to you. Why would you do that? Because you trust him. And that's why I think you should begin in your prayer routine to read the scriptures and praise him so you know who you're praying to, and then confess your need for him and lament the sorrow and the pain and the struggle in your life. Embassy Church was easily five, six years old before we started incorporating a regular rhythm of prayers of lament. I'm so thankful that a pastor friend of mine several years ago pointed out that in corporate worship, most Christian churches don't lament. They don't go to the Lord and just say, God, we don't have all the answers, but we are weary and tired and struggling. When are you going to do something about it? And complain everything that's going on to the Lord, not in a spirit of grumbling, but in a spirit of trust. An honest, authentic act of worship. So I would encourage you to take step one, pray a prayer of praise, just like David does. Step two, Pray prayers of confession and lament just like David's doing here step three ask God for stuff (laughs) and in that order and those of you that have sat with me at a table over lunch or a coffee and you've asked me teach me to pray pastor Phil you should know this is what I taught you to pray praise confession lament and then give him your requests now I don't want to overstate the case just from Psalm 86, but isn't it interesting that David does a lot of asking, but the asking is really God-centered. God, incline your ear, answer me, for I'm poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me. It's real general language, but when you get to stanza three, starting in verse 14, 14, oh O God, insolent men have risen up against me, and a band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. And so then look at verse 16 after he explains the goodness of God from, Psalm, from Exodus 34. Turn to me and be gracious to me and give me strength and save me and show me a sign. These seem like the things that you and I, if we're honest, typically pray. We pray specific requests based on the circumstances in our life. David waits 13 verses of just prayers in general, praises to God, And then he actually talks about the specific thing that he's praying. Again, I don't mean this to be a rule. I'm not trying to tell you that if you pray a quick prayer request in the middle of your day, dear God, help me because I'm dealing with some anxiety right now about this situation that you've somehow broken the prayer rules. No, 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 no. Please don't misunderstand me. Observe the patience of David to wait all the way at this point in the psalm to finally actually bring up what's going on and be encouraged and instructed that there is a lot of other praying that could be happening that will be good for your soul, and then you can get to that specific stuff going on in your life. And as a general rule of thumb, that's what I would encourage all of you in this church to make as your prayer practice. Praise, confession, lament, and then ask God for whatever that stuff is. Petitions is the word that you'll hear us say. We're petitioning and requesting and asking God, And I think David here is instructive. He is asking about very historical circumstances that could have either been the the King Saul chasing after him before he was a king, or it could have been his son Absalom who was chasing him down. Who are these insolent men? We're not sure. David was faced with all kinds of persecution from people inside of his family and outside of his kingdom. But I think most instructive to us is some of the requests that David asks as it relates to verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, so that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. I hope Many of you will pray prayers like verse 11, that you're not just asking God to fix stuff in your life. David does do that. You're allowed to pray for daily bread, Jesus teaches us. Oh, Lord, give me my daily bread. Finances are tight. Would you come through and deliver for me and my wife, my family? Great prayer. You should pray those things. You should ask God for those things. Cast all of your anxieties upon him, all of them. Pray without ceasing. There is a kind of universal, always, all the time nature to our prayer lives where you could be asking God for any little thing. But I also hope that some of us in this room will really latch on, if not all of us, man, there's a kind of praying that is about kingdom purposes. Teach me your ways. I want to walk in your truth. My heart, it's divided. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So take my heart, take and seal it. Seal it wholly divided to you and you alone, your courts above. You might even suggest that the songs we've been singing today were intentional to teach you how to pray prayers of praise, prayers of confession, prayers of lament, prayers of petition. And I hope that verse 11 will be one of those key takeaway kind of prayers. Not just praying for the basic circumstantial needs of your life, but praying more than anything, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. I want to walk in your ways and I want my heart to be united to fear your name. So that way I would walk in the wisdom of your truth. Do you pray this way, Embassy Church? If you don't, come Wednesday nights. There's a small group of people that gather, 6.30, and week in and week out. I'm so thankful to sit and listen to their prayers. They don't just pray about the organ recital. A friend of mine told me that joke, organ recital. Your kidney, your liver, your spleen, your heart, your lungs, and you just keep praying for all the different body parts and the surgeries that are people happening. You guys ever seen the prayer lists at most churches? The men's retreat that I was just teaching at recently, that's what the guy said. He said, when I look at our church prayer list, it's only about surgeries. It's only about people's body parts. He's like, don't we care about people's souls? Don't we care about their heart? The truth of God's gospel being spread to the end of the, the world through the prayers of his people? I think it's a, a fitting thing for us to examine. Do your petitions only have temporal short-term end results. Pray Pray that it's a successful surgery. I want to know about it, and I want to pray for your successful surgery. But no matter how many successful surgeries we have or medicines we take, the wages of sin is death. We need our souls delivered from the grave as David prays here. We turn to the Lord God because he alone can answer that prayer. We should care about all kinds of suffering, but we should especially care about eternal suffering. Praying for our lost family members and friends, praying for the expansion of the church, the spread of the gospel to the nations. And I hope that as you listen to the prayers of petition every week, you'll listen carefully and be instructed on how to pray, hopefully like David here. Praying for the promises of our church covenant God, help us to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Isn't that what David just modeled for us in prayer? Praying for Capitol Hill Baptist Church and the faithful preaching of God's word in Washington, D.C.? God, bring your glory all over the United States, not just here in Chicago, but even in Washington, D.C. So what kind of prayer is this prayer? It's a prayer of praise. It's a prayer of confession lament. It's a prayer of petition for circumstantial, immediate needs, but it's also a prayer for the soul to be strengthened to walk in the light of God's truth. And I hope and pray that you'll pray this way too. Question two now. That was all question one. What kind of prayer is this? It's not so simple. It's kind of doing a little bit of everything. And in fact, we didn't even mention this, but if you'd like to just tack on a final point, notice the way in verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my heart. How about prayers of thanks? That's a whole other category of praying. But we want to move on. I mentioned that 73 Psalms are described as being of or by or for David, just like this one. A prayer of David. And that's weird. That's weird. Not weird because it's in the Psalms, it's weird because it's the only time that it appears in book three of the Psalms. It's weird because I would like all of you that have a Bible to turn just a few pages back to Psalm 72. Psalm 72, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, we're just gonna look at the very last verse the end of book two. Psalm 72, verse 20. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Amen. Do you all know what I mean now? A prayer of David. Hey, wait, I thought those ended. That's what you should be asking. That's what you should be wondering. That's why the first line of psalm 86 is jarring fascinating perplexing if the prayers of david had ended why is david praying again in this answer i think will lead us down all kinds of rabbit trails and different twists and turns but i think the simple answer is this if you're reading book three as a downer the Davidic kingdom is crushed. The temple is destroyed, Psalm 74. God's presence seems absent. Or to put it another way, some Bible scholars and commentators say book three is the darkest corner of the Bible. It has the most concentrated laments If you take the total number of 17 psalms and ask how many of them are lamenting the absence of God's presence, the destruction of God's temple, and total destruction of the people of Israel, sin abounding, chaos everywhere, the answer is book three. So, nestled in between two sons of Korah's psalms. Look right before Psalm 86, Psalm 84, Psalm 85 a psalm of the sons of Korah, a psalm of the sons of Korah, then a psalm of David, and then a psalm of sons of Korah, psalm of sons of Korah. This is not an accident, guys. It wasn't like just some sort of throwing out there, here's a bunch of different songs. This is intentional. And I think it's to tell you, the reader, if you work through all the psalms, not just one at a time, picking and choosing, flipping open your Bible, oh, let's read Psalm 86. Psalm of David, okay, but if you're following along, book three, and you already know the prayers of David have ended, we're recapturing a prayer because most of the language of Psalm 86 is actually rehashing old prayers that we've already read from books one and two, but we're praying it again even though David's dead. The corporate covenant people of God are still praying prayers of David even after David is dead. They're still being led in worship even when the temple is destroyed, even when the power of David the king, he is poor and needy. Oh, he is way poor and needy. The entire kingdom that David had was split into two, then destroyed by the Assyrians to the north and the Babylonians to the south. And if that setting is right, based on the broader reading of Book 3, what we have in the midst of all of these laments is a statement of hope that the king, of the throne of Israel will reign and rule and bring about all nations worshiping Yahweh, the Lord God. That's what I think is happening. There's a lot we could get into that, but for now, I just want you to know this little line of David is to alert you to the fact that even though David's dead and his kingdom's been divided and they have been exiled and all sorts of terrible things have happened, God's people are still praying for a David-like king to reign and rule over the throne. And that's why David and the people of Israel are saying, all nations that you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Give strength to your servant and save the son, S-O-N, the son of your maidservant. Show us a sign of your favor so that everybody who's hating us will see and be put to shame because you, O covenant Lord, all capitals. Lord, Yahweh, have helped me and comforted me. I don't think that verse 17 should be a reason for you and my to be, God, I need to know, should I marry her or should I not? Show me a sign. God, should I take this job or should I not? Show me a sign. He's talking about a sign of God bringing about salvation. God bringing about destruction of his enemies. God displaying the fulfillment of his covenant promises. And it reminds me of that time when Jesus was hanging around the Sea of Galilee and he told everyone, you're asking for all kinds of signs and miracles? I'll give you a sign. The sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was in the whale for three days, or fish, technically not a, a whale, a fish, and then came out and preached And the Holy Spirit came down and brought revival to the nations. How much greater then will it be the Son of Man who's buried into the ground for three days and the God who delivers from Sheol, verse 13, for great is your steadfast love toward me, for you deliver the soul of the king on the throne of Israel, the one who is the son of David, the lion of Judah, from the depths of the grave, and then all nations will worship that king and bow before his throne. The sign of Jonah has come. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greater David. The one who was, as described in Luke chapter 1, born as the son of a maidservant, the description of Mary, the mother of Jesus. The one who was given strength, and I say, the one who prayed Psalm 86 all the way to his death. And I get this not specifically from one specific text, but just listen very carefully as I read to you Hebrews chapter 5. And if you believe, like I do, that Jesus prayed all the Psalms again and again, but especially Psalms like this one, maybe this will help make sense of why this sermon series is called The Songs of Our Savior, because our Savior sang and prayed just like David did. This is Hebrews chapter 5, and the writer says this, In the days of Jesus' flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications, and he did so with loud cries and tears. Let me read that again. In the days of Jesus' flesh, he offered up prayers, plural, supplications, plural. He was a praying man. And he did so, like Psalm 86 describes David, crying with tears. The writer goes on. He offered these prayers to the God who was able to save him even from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And he, being made perfect, became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him. Brothers and sisters, guests, visitors, this is the good news of the entire Bible. Psalm 86 actually took on human flesh. A man prayed, cries, with tears streaming down his eyes, weeping, lamenting, concerned over sin and sorrow, evil and destruction in this world. He never had to once confess sin because he was the perfect, spotless one. And Hebrews chapter 5 said that this son of David, he was saved and heard in his prayers because of his reverence. Oh, look down your Bibles at Psalm 86 one more time and notice the way that David appeals because of his loyalty, his commitment, and in a much, much greater way, Jesus. He's the true godly one that verse 2 describes. Preserve my life, save me, for I am a godly man. The word is the exact same word for steadfast love, hesed, but used to describe a person. It is Hissed, save your servant, the one who trusts in you, for you are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. Yes, David had enemies, and he was threatened to take his life. Verse 14 explicitly explains, a band of ruthless men seek my life. But we know that David's greater son, Jesus Christ, had a band of ruthless men take his life. Crucify him on a cross. And because of his death on the cross, God's gracious, merciful character, his slowness to anger, his abounding and steadfast love and faithfulness are put on display for every single person on the universe. Every nation will come and worship as Jesus Christ has been hung on a cross, resurrected from the grave ascended into heaven, and every knee bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is what I mean by a prayer of David? Wait, I thought the prayers had ended. Or to put it another way, in the midst of the worst possible chaos that a nation, a family, an individual could experience, Psalm 86 is placed right here, As a little reminder, in the darkest corner of the Bible, there is hope of a coming David-like king who will be raised from the grave and all of the world will bow before his throne. A prayer of David? A prayer of Jesus. And it's in his name that we should pray now. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do now, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, humbly confess that we are poor and needy. We are deserving of your hot anger and wrath. We have sinned against you and one another. We have not loved you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourself. And for these reasons, Lord, we are desperate for your grace your amazing grace. And we are thankful and we want to give thanks even now for the grace that has been displayed for us on the cross of Christ, the son of David, the one who comes in the very same tribe of Judah who prayed for us even as he hung on a cross. We thank you for his intercessory prayer now in heaven for us to save us, to guide us, lead us down the paths of righteousness so Lord we want to pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would strengthen your church by your word that your Holy Spirit would shine the light on the beauty and glory of the greatness of you the Holy God in the person of your son Jesus Christ we pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work of convicting us of our sin and leading us to prayers of confession would reveal to us what's really going on in the world and cause us to lament the wickedness and the reality of what humans have done on this earth. Lord, we pray that your spirit would come near and comfort and help as our psalm concludes. Comfort your people. Help us. We are poor and needy, and we have no place else to turn. There is no one higher. There is no one greater. There is no one stronger. So we ask, O oh God of creation and salvation, come. Come. Come meet us in the bread and the cup. Come meet us as we conclude this worship service and guide us every step. In Jesus' name, amen.